Welcome to OECD Podcast, where policy meets people. In early 2020, the employment rate in OECD countries had reached a new record high after the decade-long recovery from the 2008 financial crisis. Then the COVID-19 pandemic hit, a public health emergency of staggering proportions. To slow the spread of the virus, many countries adapted drastic containment measures. And while such measures have protected our healthcare systems and saved lives, they've also had a very serious impact on our economies and societies. GDP has plummeted, unemployment has soared, and governments have poured trillions of dollars into supporting people and firms. I'm Kate Lancaster, and you're listening to OECD Podcasts. To understand the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on jobs and labor markets, on lives and livelihoods, I'm speaking today with Stefano Scarpetta, Director of Employment, Labor, and Social Affairs at the OECD. Welcome, Stefano, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Let's start with the numbers today. Can you talk us through the extent of the jobs crisis that we're facing? Yes, indeed. Uh, The impact of the COVID-19 crisis on the labor market has been already massive. Um, The uh, unemployment rate in the OECD country uh, will reach 8.4%. It was uh, slightly less than a month ago in April when it was 8.5%. And this is actually the unemployment rate we had 10 years ago in 2010 at the peak after the global financial crisis. So basically, uh, it took only a quarter, three months, uh, to wipe out all the improvement in the labor market. Uh, it took 10 years uh, to achieve in the OECD area as a whole. There are 50% more people unemployed today than there were just before the COVID-19 crisis. And so how do we think these numbers might evolve? Well, the important thing is the unemployment rate per se do not even capture the full extent of the impact of the crisis onto the labor market. We know that during the um, confinement period, government intervened massively to basically support these jobs. Interesting enough, there are 60 million workers who have been involved into the job retention schemes, which are subsidies to companies to basically keep the workers and continue to pay their salaries. The numbers are something we have never seen before. In France, 55% of private sector employees were in, uh, in uh, again, the job retention schemes. In New Zealand, it's 70%, 70%. Mm-hmm. And in other countries like Italy, you're talking about 40%. So then when the scheme winds up, what happens? Many of the OECD countries are at different stage of reopening the economy. In fact, for example, in the United States, where unemployment really... Uh, increased dramatically uh, in the past few months. Of the past two months, so in, uh, uh, since uh, May and June, unemployment has declined because a number of those who were on temporarily off in the United States went back into employment. So we moved from uh, an historical high in the United States, 14.4%, down to 11.1%. So the economic recovery is uh, somewhat easing the pressure on the labor market, The real question is that how the economy, how the situation will unfold in the next months. As you know, at OECD, we have come up with two scenarios, a single hit whereby the uh, major crisis is behind us to a large extent, and two different policies we will manage to avoid a second spike in the diffusion of the virus, or double uh, crisis in which uh, towards the end of the year there will be new uh, spike of the virus, and therefore some stronger containment measure would have to be reintroduced. 
goes without saying that if we were to move into this second scenario, unemployment numbers would deteriorate further before improving uh, in, the, in the next year. Who has been most affected by this? Which, which groups have really been the most vulnerable to this jobs crisis? Well, unfortunately, the same groups that tend to be most affected by major economic shocks have been hit also this time around. The low-skilled have many more difficulties because uh, many of them are actually in essential services, but also because of their specific job does not really allow to perform these tasks uh, from home. I've read that only about a third of jobs can, in fact, be done from home right now. Indeed, because one of the surprises of this crisis has been the very massive use of telework. Still, some workers, because of the nature of their job, but also because you need a computer, you need a laptop, you need a, a, an iPad, you need a fast connection. Mm -hmm. Second, um, those with holding precarious jobs, temporary jobs, part-time jobs, or many of the self-employed. These are the jobs, unfortunately, which have been disproportionately affected by the closure of activities and the reduction in economic activities altogether. The third group are the young people. Many of those who were supposed to enter the labor market could not really find a job. And many of those young people already into the labor market were affected by the fact that their job may not have been continued because it was a temporary job, a less stable job. And last but certainly not least, women have been particularly affected by this crisis because again, they were on the front line, for example, in the health sector, but also because they tend to hold disproportionately less stable job, the first job to go into this financial economic crisis. Now that we are reopening the economy, some of the sectors that have more difficulty in reopening are actually have a disproportionate percentage of women working there. Well, let's let's talk a bit further about young people. So this COVID class of 2020, I mean, this is not a good job market to be graduating into. What do governments need to do to help young people in this situation to make sure their working lives aren't going to be scarred forever by starting at the time that COVID hit? It is unfortunately something we have seen in the past. Large economic crises tend to have a disproportionate effect on young people. Again, either because they hold the more precarious temporary jobs or because they enter the labor market. Now, what we learn from the global financial crisis is that they need support. They need guidance in order to how to search for a job, which type of additional skills and learning process they have to go through in order to enhance their chances to find employment. Last time, after the global financial crisis, it took too long for government to realize that this was a group particularly disadvantaged. They need support. This time around, we definitely have to do better. And this requires actually a comprehensive package of measures to help young people. In Europe, um, way after the global financial crisis, introduced the youth guarantee, which was basically a guarantee that each young person who could not find jobs within six months after leaving education should receive some form of support, guidance to find a job, training and retraining. I think going forward, we really have to think about something like a youth guarantee, a package of measures to help young people to navigate in this very difficult environment. During the first initial months of this crisis, governments poured in trillions of dollars and they helped people, they helped firms. But what needs to happen now? As you said, uh, economies are beginning to reopen. So should this support be maintained? What is the next step in how we continue to help people, help save jobs, help save firms? I think what was also unprecedented was the very bold and swift policy response. Now the challenges going forward is to adapt to these uh, unprecedented form of support to a context that is evolving. 
Before the support was given to everyone because basically the entire economy was shut down. Now the economy is reopened. And I think the challenge is therefore to adapt the support to the very different conditions that companies, workers, households are facing. Some of them need continuous support because their activity is not regaining the speed. Others, I think, require less support, but also possibly a different type of support. For example, in my view, now it's time to invest in training and retraining with the help of the employers, but also making sure that workers can invest the time they might not spend at work now to actually invest in their human capital and their skills. The other important element is that, yes, we are reopening the economy, but under conditions in which the virus, unfortunately, is still out there, until we have the vaccine or effective treatment, we have to coexist with the virus. We have to coexist with COVID-19. And this means that we have to ensure health and safety in the workplace in order to work to go back safely. This requires really a, a proactive support and investment by everyone, by the government, of course, but also by the social partners. Employer, they have to play their role, both in terms of minimizing to the extent possible the job losses, investing in the skills of their workforce, and ensuring, of course, the health safety of their own workplaces. Of course, also workers themselves have to play their role. The social distancing is something that actually depends on each and every of us. And I think that's very important to avoid the second wave of the spike of the virus. And at the same time, as a community altogether, we have to make sure that we can actually maintain uh, the uh, spread of the virus under control. As we begin to think longer term about recovery, about even hopefully someday life after COVID, um, the question, I guess, is then how, how do we capitalize on the momentum created by all these strong initial responses that you've described to address existing inequalities? What would a better, more resilient workplace or labor market look like? COVID-19 really lay bare some of the gaps uh, in our social protection system, in our labor market policies and institutions. Sick leave was available, of course, for most of the employees, but not, for example, for self-employed. In some countries, actually, the sick leave is not guaranteed even to employees, especially if it's not provided by the, by the employer. This is the case of the United States and Korea. And that's just one example. On the social protection side, we know that income support for many of those in non-standard form of employment was not given, so it was not available for many workers. So what happened during the COVID crisis is that the government intervened massively, as we said, and actually tried to provide support to everyone. So sick leave was extended in a number of countries. It was made available to all workers, including the self-employed. Income support scheme of different forms were extended. The job retention scheme I was mentioning before was extended to all sectors and all so this was during the confinement phase and during the lockdown. I think there's a lot to be learned about the ability of this extraordinary measure to provide a support uh, to all of those who needed, companies, workers, households. But I think we have to learn from that and maybe try to, on a more structural basis, close some of these gaps that do exist and provide to everyone, almost regardless of the type of contract they have, a minimum form of support, so that if another shock like this one actually hit, everybody can have access to some form of entitlement and support without necessarily recurring to extraordinary measures like after the COVID-19. So there's a lot to be done, learning the lessons of this crisis, learning the lessons of how these measures have actually reached out to those in need and try to close on a more permanent basis some of the gaps 
that we're, they were already there. As we begin to emerge from this crisis, obviously some jobs will be lost, but other jobs may be created. Can you talk to us a little bit about what jobs may be lost and what kinds of new jobs may be coming? Well, that's interesting because uh, after any economic crisis, as the economy recover, there are new jobs being created. Now that the economy is reopening, we have to allow workers in those companies that will not survive this major shock to move into new jobs. They need support, they need guidance. Possibly they even need the training and training opportunity to do so. Workers in general need the support to navigate these very difficult times. So employment services in this phase of reopening become very, very important to reduce not only the extent of the job losses, but actually making sure that workers can move on to the new jobs that are there and will be there as quickly as possible. Thank you very much for your time today, Stefano. Thank you. I'm Kate Lancaster. Thank you for listening to OECD Podcasts. You'll find out much more about the issues we've been discussing today at www.oecd.org slash employment dash outlook and at www.oecd.org slash coronavirus. To listen to other OECD podcasts, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and soundcloud.com slash OECD.